You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. Well, hey, uh, I am so honored that you're here. Before I get started, I just want to let you know, we believe that the preaching of God's Word really changes and transforms people's lives. Um, But I want to give you this hint just so you understand that you're not changed by the Word that you hear. You're changed by the Word that you act on. And, uh, and also, what you get from this sermon is not dependent on my preparation, trust I've prepared, but it's really dependent on your anticipation, on the level of expectation that you bring today. Sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, that was the best sermon you ever preached. And I said, no, I preach the same every week. That's the best you ever listen. And so I just want to encourage you today to, to, to meet me with a great level of anticipation and expectation because I believe that God wants to give you not just information but an impartation in your life that will change you and transform you. So can we just take a moment to make some noise, meet me at my level of preparation with your anticipation. So I believe God is going to do something great. Even if you're in a place right now where you're not even sure if God is real, you have questions, you have doubts about all this. I believe today, if you say, God, if you're real, would you speak to me? Share, share with me what you need me to hear. And I believe God is going to meet you right where you are. Uh, I'm going I'm to share something with you about myself. And so if you don't know me, this is going to help you understand uh, a little bit about me. And uh, for those of you who do know me, uh, what I'm going to share with you is going to help you connect some of the dots. It's going to help you uh, better understand who I am and why I operate uh, the way that I operate. Um, see, I... I'm an only child, right? And so there it is right there. For some of you, like, the the, the dots are all connected. Now you totally get it. Oh, it totally makes sense now. He's an only child, right? How how many of you are only kids? Where's all my only kids at? Make some noise. Yeah. Let me, just a few of us. Oh, man, I feel outnumbered now. Here, I want to I share with you some of the characteristics of only children. So so if you're an only child, I want to tell you about yourself according to what the Internet says about you. And so here's some characteristics of only children. Uh, we're, we're extroverted, uh, characteristics of only children, being extroverted, being introverted, and so we're a paradox. We get the best of both worlds. Being extroverted, being introverted, independent personality, confidence. Don't, so, so some people say it's arrogance. Don't confuse arrogance with confidence. Confidence, leadership, higher sense of privacy, perfectionist qualities, desire to have high academic achievement, highly organized. Uh, Essentially, what this list says about only children is that we're pretty awesome, right? I mean, that's just how it is. And that's something an only child would say about themselves, that they're pretty awesome, right? And and, and for those of you who are are older children, like, like, like you're the first sibling, you hear this and you're like, so what? 
we're all of those things as well. I mean, we are the best, and we had to learn how to share. How about you learn how to share only children? Because we had to grow up with some crazy kids, and so we had to grow up fast. And then for those of you who are middle children, you're hearing this, and you're like, wait, but we're pretty awesome too. Just nobody ever notices us. How come nobody ever pays attention to me? I mean, I am awesome. I wish somebody would notice. That's what you're thinking. And then for those of you who are youngest kids, you're hearing this, and you're like, who cares who's awesome? Mom and dad love us most, so, so that's all that really matters anyway, right? And then, and then you know, so, so, so we grow up in all these different family dynamics, and actually that's how it was with my wife. My wife is the youngest of seven kids. Seven kids, I know, right? Like her mom was pregnant for like 10 straight years or something. It's crazy, right? I mean, the Partridge family had a band, their family had a baseball team, and she was the shortstop on it, right? I mean, crazy. But, but she was the youngest out of seven kids, and she always got what she wanted. She always got her way because she was the favorite in the family. The, 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 there was this one time where her brothers and sisters had acted up, and, and uh, their dad took away their Nintendo, and after a little while, they, uh, her siblings went to Irene, and they said, uh, go to dad and ask for the Nintendo. He loves you most, and so he'll give it to you. And sure enough, she went to her dad. I mean, this, this cute little girl, she goes to her dad and says, dad, can we have a Nintendo? And her dad gave her the Nintendo, and they all celebrated <laughs> because she always got her way. As, as the youngest child. But, but, but we all grow up in, in all sorts of different families. And, and you know, as a dad myself now, I understand uh, the difficulty uh, of not caving to my kids, right? I mean, I have two kids, Amaya and Aiden. Amaya's six years old, Aiden, he's two years old, and they are uh, the cutest kids in the world. I know you think your kids are cute, they're not, mine are. And so, but they're, they're just the greatest ever. And it's hard for me sometimes to say no to them because they'll look at me with this cute puppy dog look, like to say, please let us have something. Like, like the other day, my son Aiden came up to me, and, and it's early in the morning, and uh, he said to me, Dad, can I have my, my Easter back sit? That's what he calls it, a back sit. I'm like, it's a basket, kid, learn to talk. But he came up to me, he said, Dad, can I have my Easter back sit? And I know what he wants. Like, he doesn't want his Easter basket, but the way he presents it is like, that's really all I want. He wants the candy that's in the Easter basket. He says, just hold me. And I'm like, no, you want the basket. And so he wants me to pick him up so he can grab the basket, so he can grab the candy. And I told him, listen, son, I, I love that you, that you want this. You are um, persistent. <laughs> Some kids are persistent. Uh, you are persistent, but son, and he, and he gave me this look, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to say no, but I need to say no. So I told him, I said, no, son, you cannot have your Easter basket, because if you eat candy at 730 in the morning, your teeth will rot and fall out, and you'll develop stomach ulcers and die. So no, you cannot get that. I'm just joking. I didn't say that. To, it's true, though. You can look it up on the internet. It's there. But... But I told him, no, son, I'm sorry, I can't get, it's too early for candy. And he throws this tantrum, and then he's, he's, he's less lovable, but he's still kind of lovable. And so, so I get it, you know? Like, as a dad, when I see my kids, uh, I just want to give them great things. Like, I want to help them. I want to lead them. I want to guide them. And, and, and as a dad for my kids, um, I know how much I love them. 
And my goal is to help them grow up into independent adults, to, to be generous, to be kind. I want them to know that their mom and dad love them. I want them to know their identity. I don't want them to struggle with insecurity. I want them to know that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives. He's called them to become greater, that they are the first and not the last. They are the head and not the tail. And I want to remind them of that so that they live securely in this world with their identity rooted and grounded and gone. And when I think about when I think about how much I love my kids, it blows me away because that's how God loves me to an infinite degree. That's how much God loves you to an infinite degree. Like, like, like I, I just think about how much I love my kids and I would do anything for them and I love them so much and I want to lead them and guide them and I want to give them things that are helpful and I want them to live the best life possible. I don't want them to settle for anything less than what's best. And I think that's how God loves me. And that's how God looks at me and how he looks at you. So when my son comes over to me and I'm, I'm just sitting in the, in the chair and he comes and he gets in my lap and he snuggles up next to me, there's this moment my heart melts and it's like, oh, yeah. So my daughter comes to me out of nowhere and she just says, Daddy, I love you. I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> But oh, it just melts my heart. I look at my kids and I know how much I love them and then I'm blown away because I'm reminded of how much God loves us. We're, um, we're ending this series that we've been in called You Say Church, I Say, and, and throughout this series we're talking about some of the misconceptions that we have about church. Um, the, the first week of the series we started and we said, uh, you say church, I say hospital. Because we said that the church is this hospital for, for people who are broken in need of healing and help. And the truth is, each and every one of us are broken. I'm broken too. None of us have it all together. And so when we come to church, we find this place where we can find healing. And, and we've discovered that we're in this constant state of needing healing. We never arrive. We never get to a point where we're like, okay, I'm good. But we're always broken. But as we come to discover healing, we join in as a church to, to, to be the healing for others. And we're the support for others. So you say church, I say hospital. The, the, the second week of the series, you said you say church, I say party. Because I just believe the church should be fun. I believe your experience here should be fun. I believe that powder should fly all over the stage and sticks should break and you should laugh and you should cry. And church should be this great experience because we have the greatest message the world has ever heard. And if we can't have fun with that, we have a resurrected Savior who rose again from the dead. So we have something to celebrate each and every week. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And so you say church, I say party. Last week we said, you say church, I say, wait, hospital, party, movement. You say church, I say movement. The church is not some gathering where we come and we, we look inwardly and we focus on ourselves, but we are this movement in the world, taking ground for the kingdom of God, bringing light to dark places, bringing life into dead situations. We are a movement, and we said, you are the church, and if the church is a movement, it means you are the movement, so you bring the movement with you to work. You bring the movement with you to your family. You bring the movement with you in your life, so you say church, I say movement today. We conclude by saying, you say church, I say family. Because the church is family. The church is not like a family. The church is family. And so if you would take a moment uh, to write that down, that's the title for my sermon today. You say church, I say family. You say church, I say family. And, and what a great day to talk about family, especially 
on Mother's Day, right? And so for all the moms here, man, I am so honored that you're here. We are so grateful for all that you've done in our lives to nurture us and care for us and guide us and lead us. And so for all the moms, thank you so much. For, for all the single moms, like my mom was in the, in the early years of my life, I want to thank you for uh, your strength and your guidance because you doubled up as dad as well. And you were there when it was tough, and I know it was tough for you trying to uh, hold down a job and, and create a home for us, even when we, 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 we took it for granted. And so for those of you who are single moms, I want to say thank you so much. And, and, and for some of you, you're not single moms, but it seems that way because your husband gets deployed. And so when that happens, I want to say thank you for holding down the house. And then for those of you ladies who long to be moms, uh, I, I want to pray that God's peace and patience overwhelms you. And, and, I, and I love your desire to, to nurture and to care. And I want to remind you, you don't have to wait to have kids to show that nurture and that care, but you can do that even now. And so you are a gift as well for those of you who long to be moms. And then for all the moms that we've lost, you know, I, I, I pray that, that you have this peace and this comfort in your life um, because some of you have lost your mom and this is a tough day for you. And so... Um, we're just so grateful for the time that they did spend in your lives, for the way that they did pour into you, and, and for the compassion that they, that they showed you. And so for all moms, man, we are so honored that you're here. And uh, we wanted to show you that honor. We wanted to give you a memorable moment, have, let you have a good time at church by, by giving you mimosas. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Were they good? We taste tested them. Uh, uh, a couple weeks ago as a staff, I said, oh, man, this is good. Pour some extra champagne in that. And... Um, you know, when we were planning for this, um, I said, you know what would be really great, what would be really fun, is if we served the mimosas in 16-ounce solo cups. Like, that would be really fun. But Adrian, the one who, the, the, the lady who, who, who put all this together, she said, actually, I think it'd be better to serve them in flutes. It's probably wiser to do that. And I said, yeah, you're right. It's probably wiser to serve them in flutes. It's not as fun, but wiser. So... There you go. But, uh, but I, hope you, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, we have chocolate-covered strawberries for you on the way out. Uh, we, we looked around. We said, man, we just need to serve alcohol every week, I guess. <laughs> but no, man, we are, we are so honored that you're here. And, 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 and like I said, we're concluding the series, You Say Church, I Say Family. Uh, you know, sometimes when people think about church, they think of an institution. They think of this, this organization. They think about politics. And, and for some people, when they think about church, it's this cold, callous thing that, that you go and visit and you go through the motions and that's what it is. But, but when you say church, you should think family. Because when you think of family, you think of warmth, you think of comfort, you think of compassion, you think of acceptance with, with a dose of dysfunction thrown in, right? I mean, every family has some of its dysfunction, some more than others. But, but when you say church, we say family, because church is this gathering where we come together and, and we feel warmth and comfort and acceptance and love. And there is some dysfunction in it because you're part of the church. And you got some dysfunction. I know some of you. I'm part of the church and I got some dysfunction. I don't have it all together. But the great thing with family is that you live through the dysfunction and you allow love to override it. That's in a healthy family. And so you say church... I say family. And here's what's interesting to me, <laughs> that when God sees us, when God sees you, when he sees this gathering, he sees this as family. And he calls us to be his family. And what's interesting to me is that 
um, every single person who's a part of God's family, every single person who's a part of God's church is an adopted child of God. Like, if you're a Christian, if you've said yes to Jesus, then you are an adopted child of God. The only biological son God has is Jesus. The rest of us are adopted. And so you are an adopted son of God. You are an adopted daughter of God. We are brothers and sisters. Here's what the scripture says about it. Galatians 4, 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership. And so the truth is, if you're a Christian, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you've been baptized in him, then you are part of God's family, and God is your heavenly father. Now, I want to take a moment real quick just to, just to make it so that we're on the same page. For some of you... <clears throat> When you hear the word family, it, it brings up all these negative connotations. Because we all come from different backgrounds when it comes to our family. And so I joked earlier that, that maybe there's some dysfunction, but, but maybe for you, you grew up in a toxic family. Maybe when you think about family, uh, you think of abuse. Maybe for you, when you think about family, you, you, you think of um, <clears throat> something you, you just, I, I don't want to go back home. I, I, I don't want to go back to that place because, because there was so much hurt and there was so much pain. When we talk about family, when we talk about the church being the family, we're talking about family in every good sense of the word. We're talking about loving and compassionate and warm and accepting. That is what the church is called to be. So when we talk about family, we're talking about in every good sense of the word. And then when I say that God is your heavenly father, maybe for some of you, you're like me, and you say, God, could you use any other word than Father. Because when you think of father, you think of abandonment. You think of someone who wasn't there. You, th you think of someone who turned their back on you. For, for some of you, when you think about father, you think of someone who was, who was present but absent. You think of someone who, who was abusive. For, for some of you, when you hear the word father and you think, wait, I don't want God to be my father because I know what that's like and it wasn't a good experience. Listen, when we say that God is our heavenly father, we're saying that God is a good father. God is a father in every good aspect of the word. God is good. God is loving. God is kind. God is compassionate. He's patient. And God accepts us. So as we use these words, family and father, my hope is that as you hear them, you hear them in the context of something that's good. And so the truth from the scriptures is that you and I have been adopted into God's family. If we've placed our faith in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, we've decided to follow him and, and, and we're baptized in him, we've been adopted into God's family. And I want to show you what's special about adoption. There's something very unique about being adopted. See, when you, when you have a biological kid, um, you, can, you can choose to have that child. Right? I mean, you can choose to have the conversation where you say, hey, honey, let's have a kid. All right, let's give it a shot. And the trying is the fun part. Right? So you have the conversation. You choose, let's have a child. And so you can choose that. But sometimes, when you have a biological kid, you don't choose it. It's kind of a surprise. Right? I mean, you don't really expect it. It just kind of happens. It's not that they're an accident because no child is an accident. You're not an accident. But God knew you before you were ever born. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knew all the days of your life before any of them came to be. So you're not an accident. Don't think that you're an accident. You were just a surprise. Right? And so sometimes when you have a biological kid, it's a surprise. Oh, look, honey, guess what? <laughs> well, this changes plans. 
But with adoption, there's never a surprise. Like when a child is adopted, it's not like, hey, guess what? We just happen to have an adoption. When, when you adopt a kid, you plan for it. You prepare for it. You choose to adopt a child. There's no surprise adoption. You choose to adopt a child. And the scriptures say that you and I are adopted into God's family. What that means is that God looks at you and me and he says, I choose you. God looks at you and says, I want you in my family. And God does this for every single person on earth. And so it's not that God is in heaven and he's like, I choose you, I choose you, not you. I choose you and you, but not you and not you. And oh my goodness, dear God, not you. But he looks at each and every one of us and he says, I choose you. I want you in my family. And when we think about adoption, when it comes to God, we think about it a little wrong. Because when we think about adoption, we think of parents who are choosing this cute, cuddly kid, this little baby who's so cute and the poo-poo doesn't even stink and, oh, he's so great and lovely. But when God adopts us, when God looks at us and he says, I choose you, he doesn't look at us as cute, cuddly kids and, oh, it's so great and it's easy to adopt a kid. He looks at us as teenagers and adults. He looks at us in the midst of our mess. He looks at us with all our faults, failures, and flaws, and he says, I still choose you. He looks at us in all the ways that we've hurt ourselves, that we've hurt other people, and all the ways that we've messed up, and all the ways that we've gone too far. God looks at us in all of our brokenness, and all of our hurt, and all of our pain, and all of our messiness, and he looks at us and he says, I want you. I still choose you. Do you understand how radically amazing that is? That God would look at you and say, I expect more failure from you than you expect from yourself, and I still choose you. I still love you. I, I love you, not if you'll change, but as you are right now. Do you understand? Do, do you believe this morning that God loves you for who you are and not as you should be? Because none of us are as we should be. God doesn't look at us and say, hey, I'll adopt you into my family if you get rid of that. I'll, I'll, I'll welcome you in if you change this thing, if you overcome this, if you become different. No, God says, just as you are, I choose you. I love you. Until you understand this, the rest of Christianity doesn't make sense. Until this becomes a rock-solid foundation of your faith that you are loved by God. God has said yes to you. The rest of Christianity doesn't matter. I want to I help you this morning come to this realization that, because I believe that, that some of you are battling with this. You're struggling with this. You, you, you're not would you do me a favor? If you, if you feel comfortable, would you just close your eyes? And in front of you, in faith, would you see the face of God? Whatever that looks like for you, would you, in front of you, see the face of God in faith, in your mind's eye? Would you see the face of God? Let me ask you, as you look on the face of God, how does he look back at you? Does he look back at you with disgust? Does he look back at you with this look to say, I can't believe you? You don't deserve this. What are you doing here? How, or, 
Because that is not the look God gives you at all. Instead, as you see the face of God looking back at you, my hope is that you see a look of a loving Heavenly Father, a twinkle in His eye that says, I love you and I choose you. I hope that in your mind's eye, as you see God looking back at you, He says, I accept you, I choose you, I love you. It doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter who you are, but I love you for who you are. Do I desire that you change? Yes, but even if you don't change, you're still loved. Do I desire that you get rid of that? Yes, but even if you don't get rid of that, you are still loved. Do you understand? And I know you know it, I know you believe it, but has it become your reality that you are loved by God? He is your heavenly father and he says, I choose you. When you understand that, Christianity begins to make sense. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can open your eyes now if you haven't. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't have it all together, he died for us. Do you understand that? I meet so many people who live in guilt, who live in shame, and they just feel like I have to be good enough. God looked at you and said, you are not good enough, but I will make you good enough, and I will be the sacrifice to make you good enough because I want you in my family. I wonder, have you made the decision to say yes to God? But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God wanted you, and if you've been adopted, you're a Christian. Now, let me, let me talk to you about um, the, the interesting relationship that comes with adoption. See, when, when you're adopted into the family of God, that's a great thing, but being adopted means that there was a point that you didn't belong to a family, right? If you're adopted, there was there's a point where you didn't have a family, but now you do have a family. If you're adopted, it means that you're an orphan, but now you're not an orphan anymore. You're a son, you're a daughter. And so there's a point where uh, you're not in the family of God. I remember years ago, I was 13 years old, I went to this Bible study um, that my friend invited me to. I wasn't a Christian. I had no idea about anything about Christianity, just, just what I had heard and just what I'd, I had known from society. And I remember I was in this Bible study, and I, and I said, just, just out of nowhere, I, maybe I was trying to be smarter than I was or impress people or whatever, and I said, oh, yeah, we're all children of God. And I remember the lady who was leading this Bible study, this, this old lady, she looked at me. I mean, I had no idea. I, I, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know what I was talking about. I remember she looked at me and so sternly said, no, we're not. And, and it stood out to me so clearly. I said, what? What do you mean? That's, that's kind of mean to say. What do you mean? She said, we're not all children of God. I said, I thought we were. She said, we're not. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, it's true that we're created in the image of God. And so we come from God. We belong to God in that way. But we only become children of God when we choose to be adopted into his family. Blew me away. And it's so true. And the scriptures teach this that in order for us to be adopted into the family of God, we have to choose to say yes to God, and that's when we become sons and daughters of God. See, in adoption, there's this choosing that happens. There's a choosing between two different parties. There's, there's a choosing of the parents, 
The parents say, we want you, we love you, we want you to be in our family. And then there's a choosing of the child or the state on behalf of the child. They have to say, yes, we choose this as well. We want to be in this relationship as well. And God looks at each and every one of us and he says, I choose you. I will do whatever it takes to bring you into my family. In fact, I have done anything that it takes by allowing my son to be a sacrifice on the cross for you. So I choose you. And now the choice is up to us. Will we accept the invitation God has given us to be adopted into his family? Galatians 3.26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In Christ Jesus, through faith, you're children of God. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If, if, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, the choice now is up to us. God has said, I choose you to be in my family. Will you choose to say yes? And the way that we choose to say yes and be adopted into God's family, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. We say, God, I believe that you died for me on the cross, that you rose again from the dead. But that belief leads me to follow you. I want to make you the leader of my life. And so we believe Jesus died for us on the cross, and that belief leads us to follow him. And then we're baptized into him. It says, for all of you who are baptized, this word for could also be because. Because all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. If you hadn't been baptized into Christ, according to this verse, you're naked. It's time to put Jesus on. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, have you made the decision to say yes to God, to be adopted into his family? To say, Jesus, I believe you died and rose again from the dead, and I want to follow you and be baptized into you. I'm not asking, were you baptized as a baby because that's the decision that your parents made for you. I'm not asking, did you get baptized and you had no idea what you were doing, but you just did it because your parents promised you ice cream. I'm asking you, did you ever come to a point in your life where you say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, you rose again from the dead. Because of that, I want to follow you and be immersed into you. If you've never made that decision, I want to give you a chance today to say, God, I choose you. I choose to be adopted into your family. When you came in, you received a Connect card. On the back of that Connect card, it says, I want to know more about baptism. If you're ready to make that decision to say yes to God, would you fill out that card, drop it off at the black tables, check that box. I want to know more about baptism. we got some people there who would love to pray with you, celebrate with you, and talk to you about getting baptized. We're actually doing baptisms next week. And so if you're ready to make that decision, today is the day. And some of you have been faced with that decision over and over and over again, and you've never said yes. Today's the day to finally say yes. So God looks at us. He says, I choose you. I want you in on my family. We have to choose to say yes to him. And here's the great thing. When we say yes to God, there's some changes that take place in our life. When we're adopted into his family, there's some changes that take place. And so when you decide to get baptized into Christ, when you say yes to him, there's going to be some changes that happen with you. And for so many of you, you've already made that decision, but there's some changes that have taken place. And I want to remind you of some of those changes because for, for some of you, these changes have happened, but you've forgotten them or you never knew them. 
For some of you, these changes have happened and you haven't lived up to what God has called you to. And because of that, you're missing out. But God has called you to become greater. And so, and so I want to show you the four changes that happen when you're adopted. When someone's adopted, there's a change of family, a change of name, a change of home, and a change of responsibilities. And so first, there's a change of family. We all come from, from different families, and our families look different. We have nuclear families, single-parent families, step-families, extended families, grandparent families. We got families with no kids, families with kids, families with multiple kids, families with a village of kids. Uh, we have loving families, toxic families, dysfunctional families. There's all sorts of different earthly families. But here's the great thing. When you say yes to God and you're adopted into his family, you don't necessarily leave your old family, but you inherit and gain a whole new family. And that's the church. That's what Nicole was talking about in that video earlier, how she gained a whole new family of love and support that was there for her. And so when you say yes to God, we are family. We become family. You gain brothers and sisters now because you're adopted into the family of God. All of a sudden, there's this great support system that you have because you are the church. We are family. And here's what's, here's what's great. Uh, G Jesus explained this, this truth to some of his his followers, see, they had left their families to follow him. And they said, hey, what about us? We left everything. What does that mean for us? And Jesus said in Mark 10, 29, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. And there's so much more in this passage than I have time to get to. But what Jesus is saying is when you say yes to me, you gain a family of brothers and sisters. Like we are now family. And you gain this. He says you, you'll gain fields and homes. What this means is, is that because we're family, you always have a place to stay. Because you're my brother. You're my sister. I always have a place to stay. I bet I have a place to stay. Because you're my brother. You're my sister. We're family. And the early church understood this so perfectly in the way that they lived this out. Acts 4.32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Why? Because we're family. And if you grew up with siblings, you understand that. You had to share everything. That's my shirt. No, it's not. Not anymore. We share. Why? Because we're family. And we're there for one another. I got your back. You got my back. So... We get a new family. There's a change in name. There's a change in name. Now, uh, a change in name is a change in identity. Who, who you are becomes different, right? And so you now have a brand new name. Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, uh, explained this to some people in a letter he wrote. He said, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so Peter says, this is who you were. This is the state of being you were in, but now you're different. And then he tells us our new identity. Once we enter into the family of God, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so when you enter into the family of God, once you are not a people, but you've received a new name, holy, 
You've received a new name, chosen. You've received a new name, faithful. You've received a new name, light. See, you used to be cut off. You used to be separated from God. You used to be lost, but now you're found. Now you have a new identity because you have a new name. You have a new name. You're brand new. That's your identity. Live it out. We receive a new family, a new name, and then there's a change of home. And the very next verse in 1 Peter, Peter explains how we should live because we've been adopted into God's family. He says, friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. And Jesus explained it this way. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. When we're adopted into the family of God, what it means is that we gain a brand new home. And so now, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so the affairs of this world don't bother you as much. You don't get so worked up about politics anymore. Why? Because my home is the kingdom of God. That's where my concern is now. I, I, I'm concerned now about living out kingdom principles and not worldly principles because I have a new home. Because I have a new home, I, I live out a new culture. I, I, I'm living for something greater. I'm living for something more because I have a new home. And so stuff going on in this world doesn't bother me. Why? Because I'm first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and secondly a citizen of this world. And so you receive a new home. And when you're, when you're in a new home, you have a new culture and a new way that you live and act and you experience this when you're growing up because you would act a certain way and your parents would say, uh-uh, not in this household. We don't do it that way. It's a new culture. This is who we are. This is how we operate. God has said, you are better than you think you are. You are greater than what you're living for. You're part of this house now. You're living for something more. And when you have a change of family, a change of name, a change of home, there comes a change of responsibility. There are new responsibilities that you have as part of the family of God. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And if he died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, our new responsibility as sons and daughters of God is to become more like Jesus. Our new responsibility is to sit at the feet of our brother Jesus and say, I want to be more like you. I want to love like you. I want to forgive like you. I want to be compassionate like you. I want my life not to be a better version of me. That's crap. I want my life to be like you, Jesus. Would you redeem me, restore me, make me whole, and let me live out the life of the kingdom? And so you say church, I say family. And Paul, this early Christian and church planner, reinforced this over and over again through his letters. When he addressed Christians, he called them brothers and sisters. 
And there's a time that he wrote to Timothy, his protege, who was this pastor of the church of Ephesus in, in, in the first century, and explained to Timothy how to, how to treat people and how to teach people to treat one another within the church. And so I want to read this to you, 1 Timothy 5.1. He said, don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Paul said, Timothy, look over the church like they're a family because they are. We are family. So what are the takeaways? Because we're family, how do we live? What do we, what do, we do with this? Because we're family, what it means is that you and I, we forgive one another. It's because we're family that we don't gossip about each other. Because family doesn't do that. Well, my family does. They shouldn't. Because we're family, we don't gossip about each other. It's because of this that we don't backstab and backbite. It's because we're family that we don't hate and slander and ghost on people. Why? Because you don't do that to family. We're in this till the end, through thick or thin. Blood is thicker than water. That's what they say. And we're united by the blood of Jesus who connects us all. We're family. No, instead, as family, here's how we operate. We love through the hard times. As family, we rally together when someone's dealing with something difficult. We celebrate when things are good. We befriend the lonely. We comfort the hurting and their pain. We make meals for people who just had babies or surgery. We help each other pack trucks and move. We call to check on one another. We give encouragement when someone feels defeated. We sit with the mom who just had a miscarriage. This is what the church is, a family. But the church is only a family when we act like it. I want my church to be warm. I want my church to be welcoming. I want my church, if you want that, then you be warm. You be welcoming. You be loving. You be forgiving. You believe the best. You be known for what you're for and not against. Why? Because we are the church. If you want your church to be that way, you be that way. And we will then be that way. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.